First Thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen. Brothers, we do not want you to be ignorant about those who fall asleep, or to grieve like the rest of men who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's own word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left till the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. May the Lord add his blessings to these words of his. Here's, here's my question. What do you think heaven will be like? Hmm. A little better than this. A little better than this? Okay. Quakes. <laughs> a little better weather. All right. <laughs> Are you looking forward to going there? No. No? Why not? I don't feel like dying. Don't feel like dying. Okay, gotcha. What about when the time comes and you are ready to die? Uh, I'll never be ready. Never be ready to die. What about, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Do you, do you believe in a hell? No. What do you think heaven will be like? I think heaven will be um, a state of perfection, a state of happiness, and um, a beautiful, fulfilling place where you'll eventually meet up with your family, friends, and loved ones who have already passed on. So are you looking forward to going there one day? Yes, one day, yeah. So your whole family, everybody? Well, the people that have passed before us, I think we'll meet up there and, and meet us when we arrive. Everybody? Yeah. What do you think heaven will be like? Non-existent. Okay, good. Okay, what, what makes you think that? Uh, basic belief that after death, lights out. Anyways, okay, what do you think heaven will be like? <laughs> I think heaven will be great, even though I believe in reincarnation, but I believe heaven will just be wonderful and everything you want it to be. I think uh, heaven will be... Uh, First of all, there's no, not going to be any devil there, and Jesus is going to be there all the time, and you're not going to have to worry about anything, which I don't worry about it too much now, but you still get pressures down here. Up there, you're not going to have any pressures, and you're going to have a mansion, and walk on streets of gold. You looking forward to going there one day? It'll go anytime. What do you think heaven will be like? White and fluffy. White and fluffy. What makes you say that? Because I, I fly a lot in the planes, and I, I, when I go up into the air, I see this is where I'm. In, I'm in God's territory when I fly, so that's what I usually say. So, do you think it's going to be a good place? It's going to be a good place. Are you looking forward to going one day? Yeah. If you were to go tomorrow, would you go? Yes. Okay, awesome. If it was your choice, do you believe in hell? Uh, no. So, what do you think heaven will be like? There is no heaven. There is no heaven. Is there a hell? Nope. What happens after you die? Nothing. Nothing. You just cease to exist. What do you think heaven will be like? 
I don't believe in heaven. Okay, why don't you believe in heaven? Because I don't believe in God. Okay, what, do you, what do you believe happens after a person dies? I don't know. I wish I did know. Okay, okay cool. What, okay, what, what about you? What do you think heaven will be like? I think, like, I don't believe in heaven either, but after you die, I think it'll be a big party. A big party? Big party where? Like, where would it be, though? Who knows? I guess peaceful. Yeah. All right. What makes you think that? Because uh, it's what the Word of God says. So you've been the Word of God in the Christian perspective of heaven? Yes, sir. Are you looking forward to going there? No, yeah, definitely. If you could go there tomorrow, would you go? I believe so. <laughs> Interesting, isn't it? Quite a few different views and beliefs. And probably if we uh, took a, you know, sent a camera around in this room or in the average church in America, you'd probably get a similar wide range of views. You might get less people that say uh, no heaven at all, right, in a church, but uh, sometimes people come just to see what we think or what we believe, but certainly amongst Christians you hear all sorts of different things, and when you're around uh, people who are in grief or grieving, you hear all sorts of different things. I, just since I've been a pastor, I've heard uh, all sorts of different things said at funerals about you know where their loved one is or what they're doing now or uh, you know what what that looks like in their mind, and so it's a it's a topic where we could say that there's a lot of confusion perhaps, and wouldn't we rather be clear? I think it would be better for us to be clear, and not only that, but uh, you know most people in and out of the church. Um, we try to, we, we experience, when it comes to death, and matters of death, we experience dread a lot of times, uh, fear, anxiety, um, even denial, you know, when we're younger, we live in denial that we'll ever have to deal with that, uh, either from someone else that we love or from ourselves personally. What is your relationship to death and to grief today? For some of you, you may still be grieving someone, uh, whether that was really recent or the more distant past. Uh, whatever it is, uh, we are not called to normal or ordinary. We're not called in this aspect of our lives to be any more normal or ordinary uh, than we are in any other aspect of our lives that Jesus has called us to live in. We've been looking at this series, Extraordinary. Uh, it talks about ordinary people living in an extraordinary way. We're starting over. <laughs> I guess that was me that did that. Nice. <laughs> See if it does it again. It sure does. You may not get slides today. You might want to keep that Bible handy because <laughs> we're going to be using it. 1 Thessalonians 4. Uh, 13 through 18 if you forgot the uh, passage and we'll be in there and around. So uh, we're in this series, Extraordinary, and it's about the call to be different and it's specifically based on this letter. It's one of the first letters ever written uh, in our Bibles. You know, our Bible contains a lot of letters in it. They're not all in chronological order, um, but probably scholars believe one of the first ones written to a local church, a local group of believers, was this letter, 1 Thessalonians, written around 51 A.D. And it was written to a group of believers who were brand new in their faith, uh, probably less than a year since the gospel had even been heard for the first time in their community. 
and they began to follow Jesus and the guy that introduced them to Jesus had to leave because of the uh, persecution that they were facing there and so they were left behind with this brand new faith to try to figure it out and the Apostle Paul who had planted that church was worried and anxious and so he sent his uh, apprentice you might say whom he was mentoring to go and check with them. The guy's name was Timothy. Timothy go see how they're doing. See if they're still keeping the faith. See if they're still living this Jesus way. And so Timothy went and brought back this good report and Paul writes this letter to them. The first three chapters just gushing about and, and telling them what, you know, how he prays for them and he's so thankful that they're sticking with their journey. And then he gets to some things that maybe Timothy brought back to him and said here's some areas where they've got questions or here's some areas where I see that you know, maybe they're not really understanding fully yet uh, the, how the Jesus way works in this aspect. And so we've talked about uh, our sexuality, we've talked about work, we've talked about money. Today we address death. I mean, you want to talk about just fundamental aspects of life, just basic, I mean, this is what the human experience is. We're, we're born, uh, we grow up, we become human, we get in romantic relationships, we find a job, we earn money, we figure out what to do with that money. Uh, these are just fundamental things and eventually we die and we face death every day in our culture. Uh, they would have faced it perhaps even more in a sense uh, with less medicine and things like that and higher death rates. Uh, so in less than a year's time we presume that someone in their community of believers passed away. We don't know who it was, we don't know if it was uh, someone elderly or if there was an accident or what took place, but it appears that someone in this young community of believers passed away and there were, there were questions. Or if they didn't have questions that they asked Timothy about this issue, perhaps Timothy just saw the way that they were grieving and that they were grieving the same way that they used to grieve and that they were grieving the same way that the pagan culture around them grieved as people who have no hope for their future. And so Paul writes this letter to them and the first thing, sorry, I forgot, can't use slides. If you look in verse 13, the first thing he says is, but we do not want you to be uninformed brothers and sisters about those who are asleep so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He tells them right off the bat, here's what I'm, I'm about to talk to you about death, I'm about to talk to you about grief, and the reason I'm talking to you about it is I don't want you grieving like everyone else grieves. Even in this, we're called to an extraordinary way. We're called to be different than the culture around us. Now in their culture, it was a pagan culture. They worshipped pagan deities in very interesting ways that we would maybe perhaps identify with the occult today or uh, different things like that. We would probably, if we saw it, call it satanic or something. I mean, it was very uh, interesting styles of worship in their day. They had idols, both in their households and in their temples. They worshipped those idols in different ways depending on which type of deity it was. And <clears throat> life was kind of, you know, the gods did what the gods pleased. And people did 
as they pleased and you didn't really know what was going to happen afterwards uh, but if it was up to the gods probably nothing good and there was just a hopelessness in that culture when someone would die they would hire and they still in some parts of the Middle East today hire uh, whalers professional mourners to give voice to the grief and I mean just you know over the top grieving as if there were no hope <coughs> excuse me and uh, so Paul writes to them and says no you're supposed to be different now in our culture today I find that we live in a very odd time because our culture even as it rejects the Christian God and Christian values in increasing measure uh, still holds on to and retains some aspects of Christianity or tries to they don't call it Christianity probably but that's where the ideas came from uh, even some of the uh, you know some of the movements that perhaps we as Christians don't identify with uh, come from and they use arguments that sound very Christian. It, it's a very interesting time we live in where we're like a quasi-Christian culture. Uh, it's been influenced by Christianity and at the same time is trying to distance itself from Christianity. And this is one of those areas where you see it a lot. Where people have all these ideas about heaven that they would have never had if it hadn't been for Christianity and yet aren't really anything like Christianity. Does that make sense? It's kind of like uh, heaven was, was preached and perhaps we didn't always preach the Christian hope very clearly and people latched on to this idea in the broader community outside of the church and it has kind of morphed into some different things that really have no grounding in scripture and so today a lot of times you might go to a funeral of someone who didn't have anything to do with Jesus and yet the people seem confident that their loved one is in some kind of heaven it may not sound like a heaven that you're familiar with or it might uh, but you know probably they'll talk about uh, they'll say things like uh, well God just needed another angel right or they'll uh, say you know well they're they're waiting for us over there they're getting to fish all day long now right uh, things like this that they say and we don't correct them because it'd be a real jerk to walk up to someone who's grieving and say actually if you read John chapter you know <laughs> not really probably the moment for that and so uh, this is a topic where we kind of leave well enough alone and uh, give a lot of freedom after all who really knows what happens after you die and, and, uh, who, and who are we to argue with someone while they're grieving or to have a disagreement and so we just kind of leave it alone and, and it just kind of does its own thing out there and it travels, I mean, you know, just the video we watched, you see a lot of different versions of what, you know, we'll be in the clouds floating around with harps, or we'll uh, have a big party in the sky somewhere, or, you know, we have all these different ideas floating around, and what is actually the Christian hope? So Paul sets this out. And in verse 14, if you pick up there, he tells them why they shouldn't grieve as people who have no hope. So for if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, 
with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we shall always be with the Lord. What's interesting to me is he actually doesn't even address our ultimate Christian hope because these brand new believers already understood what that was better than most Christians do today. So he just kind of alludes to it. What were these Christians worried about? They were worried that if their loved ones had already passed away, they wouldn't be there when Jesus returned. How's that going to work? I mean, they were brand new to the faith. This was one thing that they hadn't quite figured out yet. They were hoping that Jesus would be returning any day. Even as we should still hope. And when their first friend, their first loved one passed away, they said, hold on a second. Jesus hasn't come back yet. What about them? Are they going to miss out on the true Christian hope? And Paul says definitively, absolutely not. He says instead, when Jesus comes back, he's going to bring them with him. And they'll rise first, and then we'll rise. So in fact, those who have gone on have the upper hand, as it were. They already are with Jesus, and they'll be with Jesus when he comes back, and we'll all live together. What is the true Christian hope? In one word, it's resurrection. Resurrection is the true Christian hope. Always has been from the first day. And these believers, like I say, knew that so well that Paul didn't even really have to address that with them. He's just addressing the issue of those who have already passed away before Jesus returns. But our ultimate hope is that when Jesus returns, we will all resurrect both those of us who are still alive and those who have passed away. What does that mean? That means that the same thing God did in Jesus Christ when he raised him from the dead out of the grave with a new body that was a different sort of body in some ways. It's hard for us to explain, but when you read the Gospels, clearly it's physical, clearly it's spiritual. Clearly it's different, hard to recognize, but recognizable. We don't know all the answers about that, but we're promised that we will rise again as well. Whether we live or whether we are dead in the ground, when Jesus comes back, we will receive a new body in which to live in the new heaven and earth because all creation will be resurrected in a sense as well. This is the New Testament's teaching. And it's the true Christian hope has been since the very first century and the first generation of believers. Unfortunately, Many of us in our popular society have completely lost sight of that. And instead, the belief in our culture is oftentimes that we will escape this physical world to a spiritual world and float around on clouds with harps for eternity. And that's a different picture than what you get in the New Testament. So I want to also point out what that passage does not say. Because this is one of the passages that's often used to teach about something in Christian circles called the rapture. And the image that they draw from this passage is that uh, Jesus will come back and in the sky somewhere, 
and that we will be swooped up into the sky as well and from there we will go off into who knows where uh, leaving this dusty old earth behind to the you know to the pagans to the to the uh, you know those people uh, and they'll have the whole tribulation thing and they'll have the whole suffering thing and they'll have hell and we'll we won't even know we'll be off you know strumming harps somewhere else but that's not actually you know that's taking the illustration that Paul used to describe Jesus' return and turning it into a whole, taking a whole other uh, rabbit trail, if you will, with it. And what Paul describes with the sounding of a trumpet and all that taking place is the king returning. I mean, if you picture yourself in ancient Rome and Caesar has ridden out and conquered many battles, right? He's, he's conquered new territories and he's returning to Rome. There's going to be a trumpet sounded, isn't there? And everyone's going to rush out to meet him. And then they're going to usher him back into the city, right? That's the popular image that they would have had in their day. And what you have when Jesus is returning is he's coming back. He's coming back. He's not swooping us away, right? He's coming back to resurrect us and to live in a renewed heaven and earth just as it was intended when God first created the heavens and the earth. And they were joined together. And God walked with us. And, uh, and he was our sustenance in our life. And, uh, and before sin entered the world. And death entered the world. And brokenness entered the world. That's the Christian hope. These believers knew that. They were just worried about their loved one. That had already passed away. What about them? Are they going to miss out when Jesus returns? And thank God that we have a clear answer from an apostle of Jesus Christ by the authority of the Lord himself to tell us how that all works. And what's amazing is when we wrap our minds around the fact that the Christian hope is resurrection and that those who have passed on they're not missing out they're a step ahead. That changes your whole world. It changes your whole life. It changes the way you view life and certainly the way you view death. And so if you're following with your note card today and you're filling in blanks, um, you know, our one point messages around here, that <laughs> this is the one point. The extraordinary way has confidence in life rather than fear of death. The extraordinary way has confidence in life rather than fear of death. The hope that we have in Christ sets us free. To live in fear, to live in doubt, that's not different. That's not extraordinary. You know, oftentimes our, our views of heaven that have been kind of, like I say, distorted and, and we think, you know, whether you think in the rapture terms or uh, just a lot of uncertainty about what's that going to be like floating around in clouds. I don't know if I want to do that. I certainly don't want to do it yet. You know, the popular uh, country song, everybody wants to go to heaven but nobody wants to go yet, right? <laughs> it may not be popular anymore, but it's, uh, you know, some sage wisdom from our country singing friend Kenny Chesney and, uh, you know, a great philosopher of our times. 
But he points out something true. I've met a lot of people who want to go to heaven, but not many of them want to go now. And I think if we recaptured what the true Christian hope is, one, we would long for Jesus to come back. Sooner than later. I remember as a teenager, uh, growing up in a Christian home, I never wanted Jesus to return too soon. I was worried about this. It's like, there's some things on my bucket list, you know, that I want to check off before Jesus comes. Jesus, if you could just hold off a little bit. But my goodness, what an idiot. Because it's not like we're going to miss out on those things. It's just going to be richer and fuller. And Jesus said he came to give us abundant life. And he's not going to whisk us off into some feathery nether realm up in the clouds where we just wispy about. No, it's going to be a rich, abundant sort of life with new bodies that are going to be better bodies. And, and so, I mean, the hope is, is huge. And so, yes, we should long for Jesus to return. And we should be totally cool if he wants to take us home early. <laughs> and we get to rest and wait with him and with those who have gone on before us until that day when he returns and brings us with him. That's fine. You know, the Apostle Paul, when he writes about this, he's like, you know, I'm good with living because I can help y'all. I'm good with dying because that's good with me. <laughs> I'll be with Christ. And, they, and Christians from the first century forward have had this really strange and unusual confidence in life and a lack of a fear in death. And, and the Romans saw this in the Colosseums as they uh, persecuted Christians and threw them in there and they were killed in terrible ways. Uh, it, was, it was terrorism that was a public spectacle for people to cheer. And they marveled at Christians who would walk into the arena without fear. Wow. The way we live should be crazy different. So I want to challenge you today to be set free from a few things. As you think about what do you need to do with this truth in your life this week? What do you need to do with this in your life right now? What does this mean for you and your view of death and of grief? First off, you're free to drop the myths and the legends and to embrace the truth that Jesus and his apostles gave us and handed down to us from generation to generation. You're free to drop the myths. In fact, you need to know that there's no reason to believe that there's any other sort of heaven than the one that Jesus taught us about and handed down to us. Anything else, any other version, is just something people cooked up. The only reason that we put more credence in this is because of who we believe Jesus is. And the fact that he has already... Okay, who would you believe more? Someone who uh, walked in here and said, I can cure cancer. Or someone who you knew had cancer that walked in and said... I can cure cancer because I did. We believe that Jesus already resurrected from the dead. He was the first. He was the promissory note in a sense. He was the, he was the down payment. on. That's what scripture calls it. The, the first 
of many to come when he returns. So we believe in his version of heaven and what he taught us about the afterlife and about our Christian hope because he actually did it. He lived, he died, he resurrected. There's tremendous amounts of evidence for this. Don't let them tell you that he never existed. Don't let them tell you that he never died. Don't let them tell you that people never saw him again after he died. There's tremendous amounts of evidence for this. People try to explain it away in different ways, but there's very few serious historians that, Christian or not, who don't accept those facts. So you're free to drop the myths and embrace the truth. The Jesus hope is that someday we'll be in his kingdom where everything runs his way instead of the broken mess that we've made of this world, this good world he created. That's the Christian hope. If you don't like the Jesus way, if you don't really want to live the Jesus way, then you probably won't like heaven either. Honestly. You'd probably like it better somewhere else. Because in Jesus' kingdom, that's the only way we'll live. is His way. And that's a good thing because His way is the best possible way to live. And that's what we believe. So, while it's good news that He won't force you to go into some kind of heaven that you don't like or want, the best news is that he invites you to join it. Choose the Jesus way. You're also free from a hopeless grief. If you feel trapped in grief and like you don't have hope, there is hope. There is a Savior who brings comfort through His Holy Spirit who reminds us of the hope that we have in Christ that all that is broken, all that hell has stolen will be reclaimed, will be set right. You are free just as these first Christians were to leave a hopeless grief behind and embrace the hope that Jesus holds out to us. You're also free to live with an unusually fierce boldness. Live your life bold. And we're going to talk more about this next week as Paul kind of stays on this topic but changes gears a little bit. And we'll talk about a different hope. We'll dive a little more into more details about it. But you're free to live your life with a rare sort of boldness that, uh, you know, I'm not saying you have to laugh in the face of death, but, but you kind of do in a sense. Like, you're not hung up on that. It doesn't mean you go do stupid stuff, you know, to see, you know, hey, bungee jumping today, skydiving tomorrow. I'm not saying you can't bungee jump or skydive if that's your thing, but I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm not telling you just go be stupid. And that's the idea of being bold. It's just that, you're freed up in your choices in life to do radical things for the kingdom. If Jesus says, give it all away, you're like, sure, why not? If Jesus says, 
go over there and, and do that and talk to this person. You don't have to be afraid about it. You don't have to be worried about your future existence, your, your sustenance, or what's going to happen. If he calls you to do something, go and do it. And do it with boldness. We don't have to fear persecution. We don't have to live in fear in here that some gunman is going to walk in here like he did in South Texas. We don't have to live in fear and paranoia of that. Fear and paranoia, that's normal stuff in this world. But the same spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead lives in us. And we don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. It doesn't mean that we don't want to be, uh, you know, take action to prevent tragedies. Absolutely. We're working on some of that right now and we'll keep you posted on it. But we're not going to sit around and tremble in fear because some people are enemies of the cross of Christ. This world has been anti-Christ since the very first century. They've been killing Christians just for their faith in Jesus since the very first century. It's not something that we worry about. It's not something that ties us up in knots and paralyzes us from living the Christian way. Just look at all the things that Paul was writing to these first believers. Don't forget what these believers were facing. They were facing persecution in their very own community for their faith in Christ. Their livelihoods and their lives were on the line for Jesus Christ. And Paul's still writing to them about how their sexuality needs to be different, how they need to be working hard, how they need to be representing Jesus in their communities. These are not people that are to be all tied up and worried about uh, you know, what happens after you die or what happens, what about our hope. These are people who are, you know, Paul wants them to be free to live their life for Jesus Christ without fear of the consequences. And we too can be free for unusually fierce boldness. And lastly, I just want to say you're free to hope for a better tomorrow. Let's be honest. Some of y'all don't have much hope for tomorrow. Or for this world's tomorrow. Right? I fall into that trap a lot of times, sitting around. I don't know about this next generation. <laughs> I don't know. When you look at a couple of election cycles like we've had, you know, and you look around and you're like, ooh, this world gets crazier and crazier. People have lost their minds. This whole deal is going to hell in a handbasket. And it's easy to lose your hope for a better tomorrow. But our hope for a better tomorrow isn't really founded in politicians, is it? Or governments? Oh, we'll work with them to try to make a positive difference in people's lives, but we hope that our Savior will return. And so we pray Come, Lord Jesus, come. And we work in the meantime to bring more of heaven on earth. But someday we trust that he will return. Resurrection will take place. Things that were broken will be set right. A just verdict will be passed. All creation will breathe a sigh of relief. And all that hell had stolen will be reclaimed again. We hope for that in part now. That's what we strive for as the church, don't we? That's why we serve at Grace Place. That's why we serve 
in our communities. That's why we give to the poor. That's why we send missionaries. That's why we do all these things that we do. We hope for it in part now, but we hope for it in full later. The extraordinary way has confidence in life rather than a fear of death. Again, why do we actually believe this stuff? It's not just pie-in-the-sky sentimentality that we cooked up to make ourselves feel better. People didn't dream this stuff up for thousands of years until Jesus came around. What changed? Why didn't people have this view of heaven and the afterlife before that time? Because Jesus hadn't lived yet. And Jesus hadn't undeniably died on a Roman cross yet. Jesus hadn't been placed in a tomb yet. And Jesus hadn't <laughs> evacuated the premises of that tomb yet. But that tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. And he was seen by hundreds of eyewitnesses who bore witness to this fact so that people, even miles and miles away, who were from a completely different background in a Greek territory instead of a Jewish territory could find hope and a confidence in life instead of the fear and hopeless grief that they were living in before. They found a new way. They were just ordinary people like you and me. But they chose to pursue an extraordinary way. And you can choose to pursue that way today if you haven't yet. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for our hope. Thank you. It's such a rich hope. We admit, God, that in some ways perhaps we've sold it short. We've settled for something less. Holy Spirit, would you cause hope to come alive in us in a fresh and life-altering way today. Amen.